All right, if you have your Bible, we are Acts chapter 9. Uh, we are going to finish up Acts chapter 9 today. Um, been in Acts 9 for uh, a little while, but today is uh, the last one that we're going to go there. So for the majority of Acts chapter 9, uh, the story has been about Saul. All right, we, we, we looked at Saul and how he had his, his crazy conversion and, and all of those things that took place. You remember he was... Uh, he had been given letters from the high priest to go and bust up the churches uh, in the surrounding areas. And so he was on his road. He was on the road. He was heading to a town called Damascus. Uh, and as he was going down there, it was the middle of the day. It was about noon when the sun was uh, in its brightest. Suddenly there was like this bomb that went off. There was this bright light and he fell down. And in the midst of that light, he had an encounter with Jesus. And uh, so from there, he got up, and he still continued on to Damascus, but rather than uh, being the bull that he was, he was actually being uh, led into town um, by the individuals that were there. And then we looked, uh, after, after we saw that, we looked in how he had these interactions with a guy um, named Ananias, and Ananias was the first one to uh, befriend him and help him as he uh, was getting, getting up and going and learning this, this, whole, new, uh, this whole new way of life. Um, and then from there, he, we, he, he spent some time there, uh, and there was, uh, there was an attempt on his life, so he had to flee the town and go to another town. He went to Jerusalem, where he met up with Peter, and he met up with John, and he met up with the rest of the apostles, and he was there for a little bit until they tried to kill him again, uh, at which point the, the apostles said, hey, listen, man, things are getting a little hot. We've got to get you out of town. We're going to smuggle you out. We want you to go home. Go home. We're going to head home to, uh, you're going to go to Tarsus, where you're from. Just hang out there for a little bit. Uh, and so once all of that took place, last week we looked at the fact that um, now that Paul had become, or Saul had become a believer, there was a, a time of peace that was taking place uh, in the church. And, and things were, were kind, of, uh, kind of cooled down a little bit. The Jews were no longer trying to, to tear the church apart because they had things going on with the, with the emperor and all that. And so while this was happening, while there was this short time period of, of respite for them, the disciples decided they were going to take advantage of it and start spreading the gospel. So while Saul may have been the focus of much of Acts chapter 9, there was also still another major figure in the history of the church, a guy we haven't talked about for a little bit, and that guy's name is Peter. And so here in uh, Acts chapter 32, we're going to see down through, uh, through the end of this chapter and then all of chapter 10 when we get there next week, uh, we're going to take a look at, at, at Peter again before our story shifts and it goes almost entirely to looking at, at Paul. So let's go ahead and pray and then we're going to dive in. We're going to take a look at what, what Peter's been up to while this is going on. Father, I, I ask that you'd be with our time. I ask that you would uh, fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, empower me to, to speak uh, and explain the scripture in a way that, that you would have me to explain it, Lord, um, not trying to twist it and make things that aren't there, but what, clearly what you uh, had the Holy Spirit encourage or have Luke write down. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open, our eyes would be open to, to what the scripture says, and that we would be different people as a result of being here this morning, that we would be more like your son uh, as, as, by sitting here under, uh, under the, the, the word of God. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, so there's three things that I want us to take a look at here as we, we look at Peter's faith-filled life. Uh, the, the scripture, it breaks down into to three different sections. And the first one that I want us to see is Peter exalted Christ in his actions. And this we're going to read Acts chapter 9, 32 through 35. And uh, I should have the, uh, the, 
If you don't have the, the, the Christian Standard Bible that I read out of, the verses will be up on the screen if you want to follow along. It says this, beginning in verse 32. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. I should try saying that to my kids sometimes. <laughs> Jesus Christ said, make your bed, son. Right? It's a joke, people. You're supposed to laugh. It's too hot in here. That's what it is. All right. Immediately, he get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. All right, so in this particular passage, what we see is we learn that Peter has begun becoming kind of an itinerant preacher. Back in, uh, back in the, the early days of the United States, there would be these little towns that would pop up all over the country, and one of the first things that they would build was they would build a church. But not every church had a pastor, and so there would be people that would, would be itinerant preachers, and they would travel from town to town usually spending a couple weeks at each town before they would move on to the next one. And they'd go and they'd go to the church and they'd preach there for a little bit and then they'd move on to the next one. That's what Peter is doing here uh, in, in this particular passage. He's traveling from town to town, taking care of the spiritual needs of the believers in those places. Now this was different from what Peter was doing uh, when we first started the book of Acts. If you remember in the first part of Acts, they were just hanging out in Jerusalem they, they, uh, right after Jesus died, they were actually hiding in Jerusalem. And then Jesus appeared to them. So then they were uh, hanging out in Jerusalem. Jesus ascended. Um, Jesus ascended and he said, hey, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit came, uh, fell down on them. They started speaking in tongues. They started sharing the gospel um, with all of the people that were there for the, for the feast, and eventually that broke out, and with all of the thousands of people that were saved, they started a church. And so Peter and John and the other apostles were, were leading and guiding that church. And in, then in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 8, after the death of Stephen, the persecution broke out, and the scripture tells us that everybody got out of Dodge except for Peter and the apostles. They decided to stay in town for, for different reasons that we looked at. They decided to stay in town and continue to work with the church that was there in Jerusalem. But then well, last week we came to Acts chapter 9.31 and we have this time of peace. And Peter says, you know what, I think, I, I think you guys have got it under control here. This church had been in Jerusalem for a number of years at this point. He said, I think you've got it under control. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave this in your capable hands. And I'm going to travel out to the cities around us that have churches. And I'm going to work to meet the needs of the people that are there. And so that, that's what he began to do. This was slightly, like I said, this was slightly different than, than what he had been doing in the first part of Acts. But it was still in keeping with what Jesus had told him to do. At the last part of the, the book of John, Peter sits down with Jesus on the beach. And Jesus has a, a very heartfelt conversation with him. Let me read it to you. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. 
He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus was stressing them. Now, there's lots of reasons why we could go into why he asked him three different times. Um, but Jesus was stressing to him, listen, your job is to feed the sheep. Your job is to make sure that the believers are growing. And so Peter did that starting in Jerusalem with the early church. And now that that church was up and running and, and going, it, it was time for him to take that out into the surrounding community. And this is exactly what Peter was doing, feeding Jesus' sheep, when he arrived in a place called Lydda. Lydda was an important city that was located near another city named Joppa. All right, I'll talk about what Joppa, we'll talk about Joppa here in just a minute. Joppa played an important role in, a, in another story. The two locations were about 10 miles apart. So for us, that's nothing, right? That's about 15 minutes. They didn't have vehicles, they didn't have cars, they didn't have hoverboards like uh, Mike Tyson rides on. And um, some of you, okay, never mind. Moving on, moving on. All right, so it, it was, even though it was only 10 miles, it was still a, a bit of a journey. Um, in modern day Israel, Lydda is the location of the international airport. So the, 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 the area still exists, and it's still an important place because that's where you fly in and out of when you're flying to Israel. Um, Lydda was a fairly important location because many roads passed through it. If you were going from Jerusalem to Egypt, you had to pass through Lydda. If you were going from Joppa to other places, you had to pass through Lydda. It was a, it was a fairly important location. And it's in Lydda that Peter comes across a man named Aeneas. Peter must have had, like, lame guy magnets. Because every time we run into Peter, what's he doing? There's some lame dude, and I don't mean lame like, anyway. Um, some guy that can't walk, like Mephibosheth, or Lieutenant Dan, right? Okay, somebody's awake. Um, and while there were probably many individuals in the city that, that were having, dealing with issues like this, Peter was, pre, uh, he was... Um, divinely point, appointed, there we go, that's the words I'm looking for, to go to Aeneas. Um, it was going to be a life-changing day for Peter. It was going to be a life-changing day for Aeneas. It was going to be a life-changing day for a lot of people in that city. Now, Peter was used in this situation because he was involved in the work of God. Right? The reason Peter gets to do these things is because Peter's involved. Peter is doing the things that God has called him to do. Have you ever wanted to do something for Christ, but it always seems like the opportunities never seem to be there for you, right? There, there were times before, before I came here uh, where I always wanted to be a pastor. I always wanted to be a youth pastor. I wanted to be involved in work, but it always seemed like the, the opportunities were missing me. And looking back on it, it's probably because I wasn't involved as, as much as I should have been. Um, are you involved in sharing the gospel and furthering Christ's kingdom? Because if you're doing those things, God's going to give you the opportunity to be involved in bigger things that are going on. Or do you simply just show up for church, take in everything that's going on, and then as soon as the, the pastor says amen, you are out the door because you got to beat the Methodist to the uh, California tortilla. I say California tortilla because that's where I always go, right? Right? If you're the trying to beat every, you know, if you're like George Costanza when there was that fire in the apartment, you're pushing people out the way to get out the door. There's an opportunity. There's probably things that God wants you to do that you're missing out on those opportunities because you're not involved there. Peter was used by God in this situation and in others like it because he was involved. He was not a spiritual sponge just taking everything in. 
He was involved in the lives of other people. Aeneas was most likely, the guy that we're talking about, he was most likely not a believer. There is no biblical evidence of believers being healed in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Every time we see Peter or John or somebody healing somebody, it always leads to their conversion, to their believing in Jesus. So, um, you know, these miracles were used to point others to Christ. And just like the man in the temple in Acts chapter 3, Aeneas was crippled, all right? Now, he, was, he hadn't been crippled his entire life like the man in Acts chapter 3. He, there's, there's evidence that, or there's belief that he had some kind of disease that led to him being paralyzed and led to him being crippled, something like polio or something along those lines. But for whatever reason it was, for eight years, this man had not been able to move around by himself. He, had, he was having to have people give him... Um, take him from place to place. And that's why he happened to have his bed with him because he would lay out there and he would beg just like the the man that we saw in Acts chapter 3. And Peter went up to him and he spoke to him and he said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Let me say that again. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. What he didn't say was, he didn't say, Aeneas, Peter says get up. Or, hey dude, I'm going to do something for you. Right? Every word that came out of his mouth was Christ exalting. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. It was all pointing back to Christ. Peter was accomplishing great things, but he was giving the glory to God. And that's something that we need to remember. All right? Our church is doing some amazing things. I had dinner with, uh, I had dinner with a guy named Tim Turner, who is uh, he's the executive, um, well, he's not the executive director, he is, uh, he's in charge of evangelism for the West Virginia Southern Baptist. And he said, all right, tell me some of the things that, that your church does. And so I started listing off some of the activities that we're involved in, uh, the Easter baskets that we do. And the, I, I told him about the block party um, that we're going to be doing. I told him about VBS and the, uh, the, the, the Christmas gifts that we give. And he goes, wow, you guys do a lot of things. And if we're not careful, we can get a big head about that. We can be like, yeah, yeah, we're doing big things, right? But it's God who gives us the ability to do those things. And when we do those things, when we distribute those backpacks or we raise $250 to to give to the school nurse over at Driswood Elementary so that she can buy shoes and socks and underwear and whatever else it is that she needed to buy for the children there, we need to be giving God the glory for those things. Instead of taking it in for us, it was God who did those. He just used us as his vessels. Next week, we're going to have VBS. We're putting a lot of work into it, right? You look around, you can see uh, things are starting to pop up. Next Sunday, when you come in, this place is going to look remarkably different. Consequently, VBS decoration is at 10 o'clock Saturday morning. This is an all-hands-on-deck thing. If you, don't have, if you have something planned, cancel it. We need you here, okay? This is, this is non-negotiable, except for Dan. He's doing work at my house, all right? <laughs> But as we, we need to remember that we're giving God the glory for this. This is not, this is not we're, gonna, we're not going to praise uh, Christy for all of the hard work that she put into it, even though she did. This is God working through us in our community. When we pull off, when, when, when the block party happens, and I truly believe it's going to be remarkable. I'm calling, excuse me, I'm calling the newspaper. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm, we, we, we're, we're going to blow this thing up. I'm going to have reporters here taking pictures and be like, look, 
Grace Baptist loves Shenandoah Junction, but we don't love Shenandoah Junction to bring glory to us. We love Shenandoah Junction, excuse me, to bring glory to God, and that's what it's about. Peter wrote this in, uh, in his letter that he wrote later on. He said this in uh, 1 Peter 4.11, If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This week I've been holding on to the verse, Psalm 50, verse 10. You guys can look it up later. Next week when we get into VBS, 1 Peter 4, 11, that needs to be the verse that you all are praying. That everything we do, we do it in the strength that God provides. Because come Wednesday night, ain't going to be no strength left. All right? Matthew 5, 16 says this. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Everything that Peter did was not to build a reputation for himself. It was to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And what was the result of this happening? When, when Peter did this, what was the result? People witnessed Aeneas being healed and they gave their lives to Christ. People entered the kingdom of God. They had their names written in the Lamb's book of life because Peter gave glory to God in doing this. These, there were individuals saved because Peter's involvement and the fact that he gave glory to God. Peter did not use this miracle to build a following to himself, but instead he used it to point others to Jesus. The second thing that we're going to see is that Peter served Christ with his actions. Uh, this is Acts chapter 9, 36 through 39. It says this, In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She, always, she was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. That's important. We're going we're gonna to focus on that here in a second. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming to us. Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs and all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now, while Peter was in Lydda, and there was a revival going on. There were people getting saved. There were people getting baptized. The church was growing. There was a tragedy that took place in a city that was nearby. I already mentioned it. It's called Joppa. In Joppa, at the church there, there was a lady named Dorcas. The Bible calls her two different things. One time calls her Tabitha. Another time it calls her Dorcas. I'm going to just say Dorcas because you know how I do. I get the names mixed up all the time. Um, and she was a highly favored member of her church. And the reason that she was a highly favored member of her church is not because she had been there for decades and decades and decades. It was not because she, she could trace back the fact that her granddaddy and great-granddaddy and all this put the steeple on the church. The reason that she was so favored in the church is because she ministered to the people in the church. Anytime there was a need, she took care of it. If somebody needed food, guess what? She was the one making the food. If they needed clothing, as we see in verse 39, uh, Dorcas was the one who was making the clothing. If they had a meal and there were dishes to be washed, I guarantee you Dorcas was in there washing those dishes, making sure that everything was cleaned up and straightened up. We have people like that here in our church right now. 
right? We have people who, when they hear that there's a need for food, guess what? Jonathan's not getting pork roast that night because I'm sending it across town. Although I did take a couple bites, not, not gonna lie. All right, I'm like, their family's not as big as mine. All right, anyway, moving on. All right. She, the, but sadly, there was a tragedy because something happened. She got sick and she died. And when she died, there was a giant hole left in that church. Sadly, earlier this year, we lost someone who could very much have been named Dorcas. We had a, a lady in our church named Sarah. And when Sarah passed away, guess what? She left a big hole in our church. I mean, which is kind of funny because she was just an itty-bitty little thing, right? But there, and, and since then, there have been people who have stepped up to fill her role. And when Dorcas died, it left a huge hole in the church, so much so that people were weeping and sobbing over the fact that she was no longer with them. And, and I didn't write this in my notes, but here's the question I have. Can that be said of you? If you were to die today, would there be a hole left in the church from the service that you're doing? Or could we just pick up and go on without even feeling it? Just something to think about, right? Something to think about. Now, this is what the, the remarkable thing is, is what happens next. The women of the church, after Dorcas died, they washed her. And normally, the, the, the precedent, if you read in Acts chapter 6, when... Uh, uh, Ananias and Sapphira died. They took him out and they buried him right away because they didn't have the, the modern morgues to keep the bodies prepared and everything, right? They didn't want the bodies laying around because they'd start to stink, it was hot and all those things, right? So they'd go out and bury him. These people, these, these ladies here in the church, they washed the body, but instead of going out and burying it, they took him upstairs and put her in bed. That's a really strange thing to do unless you have a plan, all right? These ladies had a plan. They were not ready to be done with Dorcas just yet. So they washed her. They took her upstairs. They put her in bed. Then they, they got word that Peter was in, in a nearby town, that he was in Lydda. And they said, you know what? We're not ready to let Dorcas go. If anybody can do something about this, it's Peter. Let's go get Peter. There is no precedent whatsoever in the book of Acts or anywhere in the New Testament of anybody being raised from the dead after Jesus ascended back into heaven. Jesus was raising people from the dead all the time. He's like, Psh, up, up, you know, all these things. Nobody else had the ability, had the power to do that, all right? Peter was able to heal folks through the power of God. Nobody had been raised from the dead. These ladies had faith. That if they, if they asked Peter, that Peter was so much in touch with God, he, he was such a conduit of, of God's power, that he was going to be able to, to bring their beloved Dorcas back to them. They had faith. And not only did they have faith, they put their faith into action. Right? Instead of taking her out and burying her, be like, well, hopefully she'll come back to life. It'll be a pet cemetery kind of deal going on there. But... Um, Let's take her upstairs. Let's go get Peter. Let's get this taken care of. All right. How many times do we say, oh, we, we, we have faith in something? We don't do anything about it. All right. There's a book that I read, um, and, and sometimes I question the logic on this. On, on one, why I read the book, but, but two, and what he said. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy named Mark Batterson. Eric loves Mark Batterson. Um, Mark Batterson wrote a book called The Circle Maker. 
And one of the things that he talks about in his book called The Circle Maker, which is about prayer, is that we pray like it depends on God, but we work like it depends on us. Right? And, 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 and the, the logic behind that is so often we pray about something and don't do anything. Right? We're like, oh, we're trusting God to do this. But are we trusting God enough to put feet to our faith and actually get up and start doing something about it? Right? I have faith that God is going to bring us 150 children to our block party. I have faith that God is going to provide $800 to buy the supplies and the hot dogs and everything else that we need. But if all I do is just pray and not put any work to it, can I be terribly surprised when it doesn't happen? Right? I've got 250 postcards on my desk right now. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow evening? I'm stamping and labeling 200. Well, actually, Tina and I are doing it. Oh, wait, it's your birthday tomorrow. Never mind. We are doing this on Tuesday. <laughs> we are doing this on Tuesday. But we are, we are putting our faith, we're putting feet to our faith by putting the, investing the resources into these postcards and putting the stamps and taking the time to put labels on them because I truly believe, and I'm going to be praying over every single, excuse me, every single one of those cards that that card is going to have an impact on somebody's life and that that card is going to result in somebody being here and hearing the gospel. Those cards are in there. If you want to go and pray over them before you leave, by all means, they're on my desk. I'll be here, I'll be here all day, I guess. It's, it's looking that way. Um, now, uh, moving on here. Peter was still in Lydda, ministering and teaching the, the new believers. Because Lydda was only about 10 miles from Joppa, the disciples went to him and said, Listen, this happened. We need you to come with us. Now, Peter, he was busy. He was working and he was doing, he was, he was ministering to these new believers. He was making sure they were getting established in the church. He was taking care of all of these things. He very much could have said, listen, guys, I can't do it right now. I'm sorry that your buddy died. All right? I'm sorry that, I'm sorry that that happened. I've got to stay here. But the Holy Spirit laid it on his heart to go with him. And so Peter got up and he went. Sometimes, though, like I said, sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us to other places and to do other things. Peter was chosen for another ministry and another place. Because he was making himself available and because he was doing God's will, he was bringing glory to God through his actions. Whether he had stayed in Lydda or whether he went to Joppa, he was going to bring glory to God. Can we say the same thing? Are our actions serving Jesus or are they serving ourselves? Are we doing things, uh, when we are doing good works, are we doing to them to get glory for ourselves or, excuse me, or because we are serving God. Last week when, uh, when Eric was preaching, he was always talking about how much or how often he steals my thunder. I swear I think you hacked into my computer so you can see what it is that I'm a... Uh, but this morning during Sunday school, he stole my thunder again. We were studying David and Mephibosheth. I can't... Now look what you did. All right? Mephibosheth. And we were talking about how, how we do good works for other people. And are we doing them to bring glory to God? Or are we doing them to bring glory to ourselves? Peter, when he was doing these things, he was doing it to bring glory to God. This is exactly. So when we do a good works, are we trying to build up ourselves or are we trying to serve God? Peter was serving God through his actions. Both Dorcas and Peter understood what it meant to be a disciple. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says this, So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. 
The third thing that I want us to see as we move to the next section is Peter prayed to Christ before his actions. Let me read the next section. Acts 9, 40 through 43 says this. Peter sent them all out of the room. He went to Joppa. He went up into the room. Uh, he knew what, what the situation was. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. Can you imagine what that moment would have been like? This lady's been dead for a little while. Peter prays and then says, Tabitha, it's time to get up. And she woke up. My kids don't even do that. All right. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. Another moment that would have just been remarkable. This became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time there in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. Now, after Peter arrived in Joppa, he was shown where Dorcas was. To this point, like I said, there is no evidence that anybody had been raised from the dead. This was total faith on everybody's part uh, that was going on. The disciples of this church had faith that God would hear their prayers, and that's why they sent for Peter. They were exercising their faith. And what's especially important is that the disciples didn't say that, or I've already mentioned most of this, so I'm just going to move past it. Peter's in the room with Dorcas, and he sent everybody out. Now, rather than trust in his own ability, I can't imagine what that would be like. Like, like do I think I can do this, right? Do I, do I really think I can raise somebody from the dead, right? Rather than trust in his own ability, Peter got down on his knees and began to pray. That right there is the most important thing. There is a, there's a story. Um, there's a story uh, about some, uh, some kids. I don't want to call them kids. Probably late, late teens, early 20s. They went to visit, um, they went to visit a, a, a well-known church in uh, England. And forgive me, I can't remember the name of it. It's the church that Charles Spurgeon preached at. And they went in and they met a man and they, he goes, hey, church service is about to start. Um, it'll start here in a little bit. Before it begins, would you like a tour of the building? And they're like, yeah, yeah, this would be great. We want a tour. So he took them on a tour of the building. And, and just before they were done, he said, now, do you want to see the, the source of our heat? And the guys kind of scratched their head a little bit and they said, what? I want to see no furnace. I was like, seriously, do you, want to, do you want to see the source of our heat? And they said, all right, whatever, we've seen everything else. So he took him to a special room, and he opened the door. And, and when he opened the door, in that room were several hundred people on their knees praying and asking for God to do a blessing in that church. And the man turned to him and said, gentlemen, this is where the source of our heat comes from. Everything that happens in this church happens right here. Now, it turned out that the man who was giving him the tour was Dr. Spurgeon. Right? Um, but Peter, before he did this, before he did this, he got down on his, on his knees and he prayed and he asked God to give him the ability to, to, to work through him to do this for, for the people. And as we see, once he was done praying, he turned and said, Tabitha, it's time to get up. And Tabitha got up. She'd been dead for several hours, possibly even a couple of days. And he says to her, it's time to get up. Let's do this thing. And they got up. I can only imagine that when he opened the door and said, folks, I need you to come inside here for just a moment. 
They were probably walking in with a, with a sense of hesitation, a sense of apprehension about what was about to go down. And then they opened the door, excuse me, and Tabitha, is, Tabitha or Dorcas or whatever you want to call her, she's standing there waiting for them. I can only imagine that this time there were tears, but instead of them being tears of sorrow and tears of grief like they had shed for her just earlier that day, they were tears of excitement and tears of joy. And the only reason, I guarantee you, the only reason that this happened was because Peter was a man of prayer and Peter went to prayer before this took place. Too often we try to do things in our own power. I've been guilty of it. I'm guilty of it all the time where I try to do things in my own power. And you know what usually happens? They crash and burn, right? They are disasters. And then I'm left trying to pick up the pieces and it hurts, all right? Too often we do that. We give lip service to prayer, but rarely do we put any real time into our prayer. John MacArthur, he wrote this. He said, essential to all successful ministry Prayer acknowledges our dependence on God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. After praying, like I said, Peter told Dorcas to get up, and that's when she, she woke up. When God, what should be noted here is that God did not raise Dorcas just to bless that church. If that had been the only thing he did, that would have been wonderful. But that's not the reason that he brought Dorcas back to life. The reason that he brought Dorcas back to life, the reason that God does any of the miracles that he does in the book of Acts, is to bring others to him. In Acts chapter 9.42, we see that God had a bigger plan in raising Dorcas. Many heard about Tabitha being raised, and they trusted in Christ. Again, it wasn't done to bring glory to Peter. All the glory went to Christ. When God answers our prayers, he does so to bless us, but he also does it to draw other people to him, right? I've been talking about it a lot because I want it to be in your mind. When God provides the money for our block party, and I truly believe that he does, you better believe I am going to talk about that story nonstop. You're going to get tired. You're going to be like, Jonathan, stop talking about the $800, When God brings 150 people, 150 children to get school supplies to the block party, you better believe I'm going to talk about that nonstop. Not because it's a blessing to our church, but because that was 150 gospel conversations, 150 contact points that we got to have with people to share the gospel with them. When God does miracles like that, he does it not just to bless us, but to bring others to him. Trust me, I'm going to be talking about this block party for a long time. All right? Because I, I, I truly believe it, it's, it's going to happen. When we are praying, when we pray, we are acknowledging our dependence on Christ. And when he answers those prayers, it brings glory to him. Now, it may be easy to brush off Peter's life because Peter was a super Christian. Right? It, it, you look at Peter and, and, and you're like, oh, well, I mean, he wrote books of the Bible. He, was the, he helped start the church was the first dude to get the Holy Spirit, right? It's easy to brush it off because he's a super Christian. I mean, Peter had a lot to overcome, though, in order to get to be who he was. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, Peter doesn't always come off as the best character. 
There's a lot of times where he's opening his mouth and he's saying something really dumb. Stop that look. I don't like that. My wife's giving me the look. Mm-hmm. You know what it is. Right? Sometimes, he's, sometimes he's up here being super Christian and then uh, the very next moment Jesus is calling him Satan. Right? He had all of these things that he had to overcome. Yet in spite of all of this, God kept using Peter and Peter kept his eyes on Christ. He kept looking to Christ for his power. He was involved in the church and he exalted Christ. He served Christ through his actions and Peter was prayerful about everything that he did. I think the most important thing for us to take away from this today is the importance of prayer. I stressed this to the men that came to breakfast yesterday. It's the importance of prayer to our faith. God calls us to do things that are beyond our grasp because he wants to stretch our faith. We're a church of 50 people. Right? We have 30, 33, 34, 35 members on our active member role. Right? What makes me think that we can have contact with 150 children when we have 50 people that show up on a Sunday morning? You know what makes me believe that? God is calling us to do that. God is calling us to do big things. And if we are serious about it, we're going to pray about it. We're going we're to cry over it. We're going to bathe it in prayer. It's going to be what we think about. God calls us to these because he wants to stretch our faith. He wants us to depend on him because without him, we are unable to do the things that he's calling us to. And just as importantly, God wants us to celebrate those answers to prayer because it glorifies him and it brings others to faith. So the question I'm going to leave you with is this before I I got one verse to read. Are you living a faith-filled life? Are you involved in giving glory to God? Are you serving God with your actions? And what is your prayer life like? Jeremiah 33.3, I asked Bill to read it at the beginning, says this, Call to me and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and incomprehensible things that you do not know. We call and ask God, he's going to show us things that are going to blow our minds. And then let me leave you with a uh, Charles Spurgeon quote, because every good sermon needs a Charles Spurgeon quote. God does not hear us because of the length of our prayer, but because of the sincerity of it. Speaking of which, let's go to prayer. Father God, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for the story of Peter and and, and the way that you were able to use him uh, in the lives of so many in the book of Acts. But Lord, we know that, that Peter wasn't just a super Christian. Peter was an everyday kind of guy like you and me. He had his, well, not like you, Lord, but um, an everyday guy like me and the people here in this church. And uh, Lord, we know that, that he had so many things to overcome and that he wasn't perfect. He was constantly messing up. Even as a leader in the church, he was messing up. But Lord, you used him because he was involved and because he had faith and because he was giving glory to you, but most importantly, because he was prayerful. So, Father, I ask that you would help us to be a church of prayer. Lord, that you would help us to, to, to not try to do things in our own power. And uh, when, when, when things come up that, that are expensive or anything that we don't, the first thing we don't do is run to the bank book. But, Lord, we, we go to the scripture and we begin to pray and ask you to provide. Father, I, I, I trust that today is the beginning of a new chapter in our prayer life, Lord, as a church. A new chapter in our prayer life as individuals, as families. Father, that we would, our, our faith would grow because we're spending time praying and asking you for things. And we're celebrating the fact that you are answering those prayers. Lord, I know that there, 
there are people here today who need to make a commitment to that. So, Father, I ask that you would uh, have the Holy Spirit touch their hearts and have them make that commitment. Father, there are other commitments that need to be made today as well. Uh, commitments for forgiveness, commitments for, uh, for, for giving their lives to Christ in, in, at, as a means of uh, salvation, Lord. All of those things. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that that would take place. Lord, I ask that you would be with our, uh, our, our, our baptism here momentarily. Lord, thank you for those that are going to be involved there. We ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.